Support for the Health Channel podcast comes from Florida Cancer Specialists. Florida Cancer Specialists urges everyone not to postpone recommended screenings, such as mammograms, colonoscopies, or biopsies. Regular screenings save lives. More at flcancer.com slash get screened. Welcome to the Health Channel, all health all the time. I'm Olga Villaverde coming to you from the Baptist Health South Florida studios. According to the American Cancer Society, pancreatic cancer accounts for only 3% of cancers in the U.S. What's important to point out, though, is how low the survival rate is for this disease. The overall five-year survival rate is about 8%, depending on the type and stage of the cancer. But there are different treatments available today, as well as clinical trials that have promising results for the future of pancreatic cancer. Joining us today to discuss the treatment of pancreatic cancer, we have three fantastic doctors joining us. Let's start with Dr. Horacio Asbin. He's the chief of hepatobiliary and pancreatic surgery at Miami Cancer Institute. Also joining us, Dr. Raj Narayanan, chief of interventional oncology at Miami Cancer Institute. And finally, Dr. Ripal Gandhi, interventional radiologist and interventional oncologist also with Miami Cancer Institute and Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. Welcome doctors. Morning. Morning. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, first I want to start with uh, just educating the public on you know your roles at Miami Cancer Institute and what you do when it comes to pancreatic cancer and pancreatic surgery. So Dr. Asbin let's start with you. Thank you, Olga. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us here. No, thank I'm, you for um, being here. It's a pleasure. I'm the chief of hepatobiliary and pancreas surgery at uh, Miami Cancer Institute and uh, Baptist Health South. All right. And Dr. Uh, my name is Raj Narayanan. I'm the chief of interventional oncology at Miami Cancer Institute and an interventional radiologist at the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. And Dr. Gandhi, your role as well? Uh, yeah, I'm an interventional radiologist and an interventional oncologist at both the Miami Cancer Institute as well as Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. All right. And as I mentioned earlier, doctors, um, pancreatic cancer it accounts for only 3% of all cancers. You know, the number is very small. So it isn't very common, is it, Dr. Asman? No, it's not that common, but the importance comes because it's one of the most malignant cancers, as you have said. Exactly. And uh, traditionally, we have not have enough funds to do research just because it's not as common as other type of cancers. Um, now we're starting to have a significant awareness of the disease and yeah. that has helped us to make a lot of progress. And we've had significant awareness because of uh, certain celebrities in the news uh, just recently, Aretha Franklin. Uh, the soul singer, fantastic, may she rest in peace. She passed away from pancreatic cancer and back in 2011, of course, we can't forget, uh, CEO and co-founder of Apple, Steve Jobs, also passed away from this terrible disease. So when something so unfortunate happens to, you know, big names like these, uh, the awareness does grow. Is that correct, Dr. Gandhi? Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, having celebrities diagnosed with this cancer uh, definitely raises the awareness of the disease. And as Dr. Asbin stated, you know, despite, you know, some of the advances in the disease over, you know, the last, you know, many years, there really hasn't been a significant improvement in survival mm -hmm. until more recently, you know, with improvements in surgery and some of the therapies we're going to be talking about today. It's Dr. Asbin. I wanted to go through uh, risk factors to uh, start off the conversation on this. Family history seems to be number one. Yeah, yes and no. Okay. I mean, uh, if you have several members of your family, especially first re first relatives, yes, it, it is important. However, if you have had um, a single relative or you have a, a couple of relatives that are far away from you, then 
it is not that important that important as, as so. So it's more proximity, like a mom or dad, that is correct, or a grandparent, and the number of uh, family members okay. that they have had it. How about diet? How does that play into this diet, and obesity? Diet plays a significant role, um, as in any other cancer, mm -hmm. in terms of uh, obesity. Uh, alcohol is important because there's a clear association between um, alcoholic pancreatitis and chronic pancreatitis and uh, pancreatic cancer. All right. Uh, what is important too is smoking. Yes, um, smoking seems to always be on these list of risk um, factors. Um, unfortunately, yes. Yes, and or, it's or, or fortunately, because it's something that theoretically we can act upon. Absolutely, it's uh, something that we can do, and we should never start. Let's just put it that way, right? There, there's correct. Yes. Race and gender, Doctor Asman. Um, there are some studies, but it is would be difficult for me to make a clear statement about it. Okay. Um, it can affect at different ages. There is um, a certain decades of life that is more common, but more and more we're seeing pancreatic cancer at both extremes, younger as well as older. All right, and then the last one, pancreatitis, what is that? Uh, pancreatitis is inflammation of the pancreas, and as I had mentioned, one of the types of inflammation of the pancreas is caused by uh, chronic alcohol use and uh, or, or uh, abrupt uh, excessive alcohol. And when that happens in repeated manner, the pancreas gets inflamed and gets scarred, scarring produces fibrosis mm -hmm. and in the long term that can uh, lead to cancer. Dr. Narayana, let me bring you to the conversation. Um, I've noticed that pancreatic cancer is not often detected at early stages. Why is that? It seems like once you get the diagnosis, we're already talking stage four. Yeah, um, that is one of the um, downsides of pancreatic cancer, one of the main ones, because most of the patients have vague symptoms and typically don't seek medical help for that, and you put it away, and many of them are actually diagnosed when they go to the emergency room or, uh, or to their physician for another problem, um, and they get scanned for that, um, so and that's when usually they see that there's a problem with the pancreas, or they wait for some time and then they start seeing that they're jaundiced and uh, there is a, uh, go to the physician for that and that's when the uh, investigations have started so typically it's it's diagnosed late um, usually by the time they're diagnosed nearly 50 percent of these patients would have the disease uh, outside the pancreas exactly. and it has metastasized it has metastasized with it. we want to also now educate our viewers on the symptoms you may have uh, dr narayanan mentioned some of those but dr gandhi let's talk about these and uh, yellowing of eyes or skin why does that occur yeah, that's uh, you know what we call jaundice, um, and that's really due to obstruction of the bile ducts by pancreatic cancer. Typically, for pancreatic cancers that are located in the head of the pancreas, as Dr. Esben uh, described, um, other common symptoms include weight loss, abdominal pain. You could have uh, itchy skin, uh, what the medical term is pruritus, dark urine, uh, or pale or greasy smell-filling stools are common as well. Um, and uh, patients commonly might experience uh, some nonspecific <coughs> symptoms as well, some fatigue, tiredness, um, and you know, sometimes you know, a lot of these specifics are nonspecific, and for these reasons, unfortunately, a lot of these patients are diagnosed late in their stage. All right, and speaking of stages, Dr. Gandhi, we talk a lot about stages in terms of cancer, stage one, two, three, and four obviously being um, the worst. Uh, this is used for pancreatic cancer too, but you also categorize when it comes to pancreatic cancer on how it's advanced. So Dr. Asman, can you touch upon that a moment of what that means, how much it's advanced? I believe it's called uh, resectable borderline. That's correct. The term resectable means that you can actually do surgery and take it out. 
Okay. Because um, today we have a, a, a multiple different modalities that we'll be talking about, but there's no doubt that the only chance for cure is when you can actually take the tumor out with surgery. Um, then the resectable means so, you can take the, the, the tumor out. Now we have different stages because you can have a small early cancer that you take the patient directly to the operating room and it becomes resectable. Or you can, come, uh, you can find a patient with what's called borderline resectable. Borderline means that it's locally partially advanced, um, not like we showed before with metastasis branches far away, but it's locally advanced. What happens is the pancreas is in the back of the abdomen and it wraps around some very important vessels. Then borderline resectable, the term was developed stating that it has a relationship with those vessels, either wrapping it around completely or not, and I'm not gonna bore you with the details of the definition. But once it's borderline resectable, then it is a ring bell for us to say, okay, now this patient probably should go first to other therapies like a neoadjuvant therapy and then it goes first to the oncologist. We're very fortunate at our institution at MCI to have a great group of oncologists that allow us to treat this disease and make it from borderline resectable to resectable. All right, and I also understand that there is always a, what you all call a multidisciplinary care at Miami Cancer Institute. Dr. Narayanan, can you explain what that is, please? I think a well-formed uh, uh, multidisciplinary group is crucial for any um, cancer institute and also for delivering high-quality care to cancer patients and we're fortunate at the Miami Cancer Institute to just have the same. Um, we have world-class physicians from multiple specialties uh, from hepatobiliary surgery, medical oncology, radiation and interventional oncology which is our service uh, all working together. We meet uh, every week regularly where complex cases are brought to the tumor board and discussed. It allows us for each one of us to give in, uh, to share our opinions about what we could bring to the table and thereby delivering the best possible uh, treatment for this particular patient. So and I really appreciate that because it's, it's an individual approach. You examine each patient on an individual basis, correct, Dr. Yeah. Gandhi? Yeah, that, that, I think that's really the key. We personalize care. Right. So you have all the specialists, we all meet together. Uh, to discuss each individual patient. We discuss their, review their imaging, their pathology, any treatment options that the patient had before, and really determine what is the best option for this individual patient. And one of the other things I want to add is that in Miami Cancer Institute is part of the Memorial Sloan Kettering Alliance. Um, and what that means is there are, there are three hospitals uh, in, the, in the United States which are part of this MSK Alliance. And this allows us access to uh, broadened clinical trials and advanced studies, which is really key when we want to advance uh, the treatment of cancer. Dr. Asbin, I'm going to take a quick break, but would you like to add something real quick? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just want to tell you all that this looks like advertising or advertising, but it is not. No, I actually I mean, think it's fact, fantastic. Right, in fact, um, several of us have come to this institution recently from very good, well-named institutions because we like the vision and we like the fact that we all work under the same roof and we can even see patients together. Then the patient has the opportunity to have multiple opinions. It's like, you know, one of the things that are important is to see a second opinion every time. In this case, you have a second, third, fourth or even a 20th opinion because on our disease boards we have multiple physicians that are top leaders in their field and can give the patient a second third and 10th opinion you called it advertising I called it empathy 
I, at that moment, was thinking of if I had a family member who was diagnosed, I would want to be in your hands because it really seems like you take that personal approach. And at that moment, when you get the diagnosis, this is what you want. That's correct. So empathy, I think, is the best word to, uh, to say for all three of you. Thank you, Dr. Asbin, and all, all you. of you. We talked about uh, uh, briefly the or teeth, I should say, the Whipple procedure. I've heard about it. Um, has this, first of all, what is it, and has it been around for a while? Um, when you have pancreatic cancer, depending the location mm -hmm. of the tumor, you're going to do different procedures. The most common uh, location, or at least the better known location, is the head of the pancreas. And when the tumor is in the head of the pancreas, you need to do what's called the Whipple procedure. Now, the Whipple procedure has a really bad reputation because years passed, the majority of the patients had a lot of complications and the mortality was quite high. And on that, we did have a significant improvement over the last decades. Uh, we do now the procedure very safely. The mortality has dropped to less than 4%, oh, and that's, that's for all comers. And, uh, and the, the pa patients go home now if you do the new techniques uh, in an average of five to seven days. Um, the, the complications rate are still significant. However, it is a group of complications that are much milder than what they were in the past. And the majority of the patients go back to a normal quality of life. Um, major procedure, no doubt about it. There's no question. It's okay. a major procedure. Major procedure. Yeah. Uh, how long does it take? Uh, what's the recovery like for the patient, doctor? All depends on the, what, how complex the procedure is for that patient. Uh, it can take anywhere between three and seven hours. And uh, sometimes we need to take portions of the vessels that are neighboring, and that makes it even even longer. Okay, how long does the patient stay in the hospital? A few days? Um, yeah, today we have enhanced recovery, meaning um, a, a process through which the patients um, have a better experience during the recovery, and they stay in the hospital between five and seven days. Can this affect how you eat and drink in the future, doctor? It, it does, particularly initially, but as the drawing depicted, um, if you are able to preserve the stomach, the majority of the patients go back to normal eating after a couple of months. All right, now just like with any surgery, even though this is a major surgery, uh, there are risk factors. We wanna show you some of those. And Dr. Asman, let's walk through these quickly if we may. Bleeding, infection. Yeah, delay in emptying of the stomach, that's because of the stomach is divided. And uh, you can have leakage from pancreas or bile duct connections, and that's the one that's most feared. And that's the one that over the last several decades we have done major strides because working with our interventional radiologist and what we call a rescue team. Here we circle back to the multi-specialty team and approach. The surgeon is no longer the only one that treats these patients. And if I have a very good rescue team, the patients do much better. All right. and I understand that this procedure can be done laparoscopically, is that correct? That is correct. Laparoscopically means that um, the, we do the surgery through small incisions. In these small incisions, we put a cannula, we insufflate the abdomen to create space, right. and the telescope that's connected to a camera reflects the inside image into the screen, and then we do operation watching the screen. It's basically playing fancy Nintendo and having fun on it. <laughs> Nice humor right there. Um, is everybody a candidate for something like that? or No, no. I think that um, it's very dependent on the experience of the surgeon. These are not techniques that are um, yet practiced all over the world, but they're very selected centers with experienced, center, with experienced uh, surgeons. And um, the selection of the patient depends um, on where the location of the tumor is, and more than anything, it's a balance between what the patient has and um, the, the experience of the surgeon. Before we take a break, I was going to ask you, what, just, what do you hope people take away from seeing this procedure and, and what this does for them? Um, 
I think it's important to know that the procedure is safe. Uh, even among the medical community, many people, when they hear the, the word Whipple, they tell the patient, no, that's, you know, you're going to do very bad. Today is a very safe procedure, still very complex, but it is a very safe procedure and gives the patient that chance for cure that is so needed. Thank you, Dr. Very much. All right, Dr. Narayanan, we were talking, of course, about the Whipple procedure. Yeah. Now, there is a newer treatment, and it's called, and if I say it incorrectly, please correct me, but sure. irreversible electroporation. Perfect. Fantastic. I-R-E -E for short. So let's talk a little bit about this treatment, and how does it differ from the Whipple procedure? Sure. So the Whipple procedure is a surgical procedure. Uh, irreversible electroporation is a procedure that is considered an ablative modality. This uh, technology was introduced back in 2009. Oh, so it's relatively new. It's relatively new, and uh, it is uh, FDA approved for use in uh, surgical ablation of soft tissues. So when we use it in the pancreas, it's considered off-label. Initially, um, the technology was uh, uh, developed in UC Berkeley. It uses high voltage, low energy DC current, and uh, you place needles to bracket a particular area in the body. Mm -hmm. And once you connect the needles are in the right place and you connect it to the generator, uh, it delivers up to 3,000 volts of uh, high voltage, low energy DC current. And what that does is it creates multiple pores in the cell membrane. Anything that's in between these needles gets electroporated. In other words, there are multiple holes in the cell membrane, and that leads to disruption of uh, things going in and out of the cell, and that kills all the cell organelles. And uh, that's typically how the uh, technology works and, and kills the cells. So I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Dr. Asbin, which was with the Whipple procedure, uh, and he told me it's done when the cancer is uh, localized in the pancreas. Is the same for this one as well? Uh, yes. The ideal patient for a percutaneous treatment with the nano knife would be somebody with localized cancer uh, with a disease that's confined only within the pancreas, uh, but also uh, based on our experience, we noted that patients with tumor size less than three centimeters do uh, better than those who are uh, bigger. And can you explain to me, um, or to our viewers, I should say, the high voltage electricity, uh, how does that treat the cancer? Does it kill it? So it is a localized treatment when you're exposing the cells, tumor cells, to such a high voltage of electricity. The way the cell dies is because the energy creates pores or holes in the cell membrane. Okay. So in the tumor cell membrane, mm -hmm. and that kills, that disrupts what we call the homeostasis mechanism, which is stuff going in and out of the cell is disrupted, and anything inside the cell dies. And this is how the uh, cell death occurs. Is this minimally invasive? It is considered minimally invasive because we're using imaging guidance. The same procedure initially, uh, when they started treating uh, pancreatic cancer with this technology, was done in the open setting in the operating room. So back in 2010, I started this technique to treat this without surgery by just using imaging guidance. So it is considered minimally invasive. So there are a lot of benefits as opposed to, let's say, that open surgery. Uh, the, the key benefit would be that uh, the recovery time is much faster exactly. and the hospital stay is, is a lot shorter. They typically stay in the hospital for a day or day and a half. All right. Uh, well, just like any surgery, I always have to say there are potential side effects. So let's take a look at some of these and let's chime in on them. Uh, some pain, doctor? Yes. Um, yes. 
minimal pain or usually just... pain is a very subjective symptom. exactly so most of the times the pain is something that can be tolerated by patients on a scale of zero to ten we would say about five um, inflammation is something that is expected pancreatitis uh, around inflammation around the pancreas is something that we talk to patients about uh, problems with eating and drinking not usually very common um, and uh, formation of blood clots anytime somebody is a, a hospitalized or prolonged uh, in the bed rest that is usually a risk, uh, but with this particular procedure, one of the uh, key things we worry mostly is about the abdominal pain and discomfort. I wanted to touch upon something that you mentioned a few minutes ago about this procedure being used for pancreatic cancer off-label. Can you explain that for us? Yes. Uh, many of the technologies that we use uh, is considered off-label. The reason we say it's off-label is that the FDA, uh, US FDA has approved it uh, for a given it as general indication called the 510K. In other words, it's approved for surgical ablation in soft tissue. And when you use it in a specific organ, that's considered off-label. Mm -hmm. But this is something we always discuss with our patients when we see them in consultation. And again, many of these technologies have been around for many years, and there's a lot of data that has been published. And uh, some of them, are, we are in the process of working towards trying to get a specific indication. And what is, the, in your opinion, doctor, the prognosis for patients who undergo this IRE treatment? So at this point in time, we do not have randomized controlled trials or, or uh, studies which have been done in a prospective manner. Most of the literature that has been published from the United States on IRE in the pancreas has been retrospective. But what we've shown is that we've been able to provide a survival benefit to these patients of approximately 14 months from the date of the procedure. Um, clearly this has to be validated in bigger studies and in, in trials, but clearly there has been a signal because the numbers seem to be consistent both from the surgical literature and in the percutaneous literature and also in other centers around the world where this technique has been used and the data has been published. The numbers seem to be encouraging and providing a signal that there is uh, indeed possibly a survival benefit here. That's fantastic. What do you hope people take away from learning about this treatment, doctor? The, uh, the key takeaway message is that today there are other treatment options available. Mm -hmm. uh, traditionally, it was either just chemotherapy. Uh, if you're a surgical candidate, obviously that would be the best choice, but if not, patients just got chemotherapy or maybe chemotherapy and radiation and uh, most of the times interventional radiologists and oncologists were just involved in palliative procedures but now there is a treatment option that we can also provide uh, where we can help patients uh, so there is one additional option which in this particular space is huge. Great stuff. Thank you, doctor, very much. Thank you for sharing that with us. Why is treatment improvement urgently needed when it comes to pancreatic cancer? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a great question. You know, as you stated earlier, you know, the five-year overall survival for patients with pancreatic cancer is, you know, unfortunately very poor, you know, less than 10%. Right. There's about 55,000 patients who are diagnosed with pancreatic cancer each year. About 45,000 patients die from pancreatic cancer alone in the United States each year. So we really got to do better. And, you know, I think there's a lot of promising technologies that we've discussed today. Uh, and there are other clinical trials and newer technologies uh, which are really on the horizon right now. Now that you mentioned clinical trials, I was reading here, there's one called Tiger Pack. Can someone chime in on what that is and uh, what it's doing? Yeah, so this is a clinical trial that we are involved in uh, here at the Miami Cancer Institute and at the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. And basically, what, this is a clinical trial in which we utilize a small catheter 
which is actually placed in the arteries, actually feeding the pancreas. And through this catheter, we actually administer chemotherapy directly to the pancreatic tumor. So what we're doing here is a phase three clinical trial. And basically what that means is that is really the standard of care when we're looking at cancer clinical trials, where we're comparing the standard of care, which is systemic chemotherapy, to this therapy, uh, which is intra-arterial delivery of this chemotherapy. And patients are randomized either to standard therapy or this arm uh, in multiple centers across the United States. And the overall goal is to see if this improves overall survival. Wow, how long is this uh, procedure and are there any side effects to it, doctor? Sure, the, the, the actual procedure takes about uh, one and a half to two hours, I would say. And uh, this is done over a course of four months, every two weeks. So either patients are given regular chemotherapy or they're given uh, intraarterial chemotherapy through this balloon catheter. Uh, in terms of side effects, um, there, you have all this, uh, you know, similar side effects to chemotherapy, although I think these may be minimized given that it's uh, localized directly to the pancreatic cancer. Um, and then there are, you know, some risks of just going into the artery, you know, bleeding being the major complication, but that's extremely rare. God bless you all. Thank you so much, Dr. Asbin, Dr. Narayanan. It's been such an honor having all of you. Thank you. Please come back again. And thank you so much for joining us today on the Health Channel. Please be sure to join us next time. Remember, it's all health all the time on South Florida PBS. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at All Health TV, where you can get health tips from our experts and see what's coming up on the Health Channel. You can also visit our website all the time. It's allhealthtv.com, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's here for you. You can watch a live stream of the Health Channel. You can watch videos from previous episodes. I'm Olga Villaverde. God bless you all. We'll see you next time.